Lord, Father, we uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. We need to gather together, Lord. Uh, we we make clear the certainty of the words of truth. God, we thank you for the body, and we pray for those who who aren't here this morning. We've got a, a large number of people that are gone, and, and Lord, um, that's okay. Everybody's gone sometimes, but Lord, I just in my spirit, I, I'm I'm burdened for 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 them, Lord. That, they would stay connected, Lord, that they would they would stay a part of what you're doing here and they would know how much they're loved and missed. And Lord, I just pray you comfort them, provide them spiritual nourishment, Lord, and, and just bring them back safely. Lord, uh, we trust you, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Okay. The, the book of Ruth, as you're, as you're trying to get read. We're in uh, chapter two. We're in uh, Ruth chapter two. So open your Bible to Ruth chapter two. And that's by way of review, quick review of Ruth chapter one. Naomi and her family went from Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born. They ended up in Moab because of a famine. Now, they shouldn't have done that. You don't leave Bethlehem and go to Moab, and they, and they do that. But they did. They sold their stuff. They went to Moab, and then it was just a tragedy. They guys. Kalon and Millie, uh, uh, name. The sons died. Kilion, Balon and Kilion died. So, so what we have then is we have these two destitute widows, Naomi and Ruth, and and they're poor. They have no chance. There's no vocational rehab. There's no you know technical school. They can't go back to school and, and get that degree and go find a job. They're without hope. Naomi's a refugee widow in Moab, and then they both come back now to Bethlehem because the famine's over. And now Ruth is the refugee widow, and of course there's a stigma with that. Okay, being a widow back in those days, there's a big stigma with that. Uh, you did not have God's blessing, but that's their story. They were without hope. There's no guarantee they're going to live through the next season. They don't have a home. They they had land in their family, but it's all been it's all been mortgaged off, and they can't get it back. So they're without hope. However, we saw in the first part of Ruth chapter two that Ruth went out and gleaned in the field in Boaz's barley field, and just you know we nerded out just a little bit and saw that. One half cup of uncooked barley has 354 calories in it. That's interesting, right? Not really, but the point was that she gathered together, we did Bible math, and she gathered together 21 days worth of calories for her and Naomi. That is an incredible blessing. So these two destitute widows wondering how they're going to survive, all of a sudden, this is bountiful for one day's work. And then that's what brings us to, to Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. But before we get there, 
before we get there, I just want to talk about the, these widows for a little bit because the stigma that went along with being a widow included the fact that you're not really under God's blessing. That was Naomi's own testimony when she says, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and I came back empty. Okay, these are the widows in Kandamal, um, India, that, that were part of this church dedication, the church building dedication ceremony. And so here's here's Jesse, Larry, myself, Pastor Pradeep, Dave Serta in there with all these widows. And what we did was we, we gave them these blankets. So you've heard of karma, right? Mm -hmm. Karma. Karma is like the reason you're having bad luck is because you deserve it. Okay. Um, you have, it's not actually bad luck, it's you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. And now your badness is coming back on you. See, you were just a really bad person in your last life, Hinduism teaches. That's why your husband died. That's why you're poor. That's why you're a widow. It's because that's what you deserve. And that's what these women are taught their entire lives. So now here they are, destitute, without hope. They're outcasts. Nobody wants to stand too close to them. I don't want to get that on me. So I, because it might rub off on me, and then now I'm going to end up with some of your bad karma. So here's these widows with nothing, without hope, just getting what they deserve, they think. And these other guys, you know, the other Hindus, they didn't die. Their spouses didn't die. They're not destitute. So they were actually a good person. You're a bad person. I'm a good person. That's what, so, so the best thing I can do is mistreat you so that in your next life, you can be more like me. That's the message these women have heard their whole lives. And then here comes Pradeep, and he's like, hey, can I give you a gift? So we gave them these blankets. You can see they all have blankets. And so we would go up and we'd get a blanket off the chair and we'd take it and we'd go find a widow and we'd be like, give them this gift. And it's like, hey, listen, God loves you. And so, you know, we did this in Jesus' name. And then here's all these ladies wanted me to pray for. So they all lined up like 20. And I'm like, hey, we gotta go. I can't, you know, so I just said, hey. Come in here and raise your hand if, if you want some prayer. So we were praying in Jesus' name. And here's what I told them. I said, you know, the Bible teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the, the Bible teaches the church to honor the widows. See, God sees you. And God loves you. I don't know what Sheba's teaching you, but I know this. The Bible says God loves you. He sees you. And, and the church is supposed to honor you. So so there, this was actually a prayer for physical problems. So they all wanted me to pray for their health. I'm like, if you have a physical problem in your body somewhere and you want me to pray, raise your hand. And that's what they're all doing. They're like, my back, my leg. I'm like, we're just going to do it all at once. Because God hears it all. So, so this, what they heard... And what they received was very different from their mentality. And so, you know, Naomi and Ruth, here they are. What happened in that field of Ruth chapter 2 so far is that Ruth received kindness. 
that was a surprise to her from Boaz, and 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 and, and maybe we'll touch on some of that. But I think most people would look at at Naomi and Ruth and would probably think something like this: What you get for running off to Moab in the famine? Because you know who didn't go off to Moab during the famine? Boaz. He's in his field. He didn't get cursed. His husband didn't, I mean, not husband, but you know, he's he's a mighty man of wealth. He owns the whole field. They don't own anything. That's what you get for going to Moab. But instead, his response was to respond in kindness. And that's what we're reading about today. And that's what we're talking about today. Look at verse 20 with me. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, okay, they just got all that barley. Naomi, check out all this barley. Okay. Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man, Boaz, is near of kin to us, unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And the part I just want to focus on now, so I want to have time for small groups today. So I want to work through this for real, not just like you guys listen to me. But it's talking about this idea of kindness. And so we're not going to focus on the last half of the verse this week. We're just going to look at the kindness. But I want to start this by looking at the kindness of, of Boaz. And if we look back in, in, the, in Ruth chapter 2, here's what we're going to see is that, first of all, he noticed her. All right, so verse 5 of, of Ruth 2, Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? Who is this stranger who is gleaning in the fields? And then he comforted her. All right, that was that was her testimony. Verse 8, Boaz says unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from here, but abide fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men that they should shall not touch thee? And when thou art accursed, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Look at verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me and spoken friendly to me. Because here's this destitute, widowed, someone who's been cursed by God because of her sin. She's a Moabite. I mean, look where the Moabs, Moabites came from. Like, they're the enemies of Israel. And she's out in this field, and then here's the boss. And he looks at her and he's, and he's like, who is this? You know, what's she thinking? She's like, I don't mind to get kicked out. I should probably have to get run off of this field. Who is this? And when the Lord of the harvest looks at the strange, destitute, refugee widow, he says, my daughter. And he gives her a place and he protects her and he gives her provision. Her heart must have just been like, 
And then she falls on her face. Why have I found grace in my sight? He's like, now look, I know about you. You're following the Lord now. Such a beautiful picture. You know, one thing that's interesting about verse 20 is that Naomi gives Boaz credit for all the barley. So Ruth is out there laboring in the field. Hello, somebody. We're supposed to be laborers in the field. Amen? Amen. And then here's this bountiful, fruitful harvest. And Naomi's like, Boaz did that. Whose field were you in? Boaz. Oh, Boaz. So Ruth could have been like, well, no, wait a minute. I'm out there doing the one who's gleaning all day. She worked hard. You see that in the passage. You know, we have a redeemer. And when we're out laboring in the field and there's fruit, who should get the credit? You'd be like, I didn't know that, right? Oh, no. Who's Mark? That doesn't work. You, you, you got it like, yeah, amen. Okay, all of us. So <coughs> then Naomi is like, man, blessed be he. Bless God, bless Boaz. Why? Well, because Boaz has favor now in their sight because of his kindness. So kindness in the Bible, I think it's worth describing. Kindness is mercy, or we might say compassion. It's compassion that's actually an active thing. It, it seems you need, and it doesn't just say, oh, yes, uh, God will meet your need. No, it's like God's going to use me to meet your need. It's, it's an active. That's one thing I love about Aaron. He just wants, like, it's like, oh, we have this need. He's like, let's just quit talking about it already. Let's just do it. Like, it's, it's a, let's go do stuff. Like, it, taking care of people's needs. It wouldn't have done any good to just come here and be like, I also wish we had like this. Without giving them like, right? So it's kindness is actually isn't just a feeling. It involves the head, the heart, and the hands. If if if, if we were going to preach it, we could do it that way. But anyway, so man, praise God, Boaz has favor in their side. And and I think sometimes we want favor. Like, man, I hope everybody here likes me. Well, okay, so kindness is, is a way to obtain favor. If you're not kind, you're probably not going to obtain favor. So there is that. So, but, but there's a thing we need to look at. Verse 20. Blessed be he of the Lord. Look at this phrase. Who hath not, what? Left off his kindness. How do you, What? What's that even mean? To leave off your kindness. Can you leave off your kindness? Okay, let's... There is, by the way, what, what scholars will call syntactic ambiguity. If you like scholarly words, you're going to be like, all fancy. And, and, and that's at this verse. You can't tell. Is it talking about the Lord... Who was kind or Boaz who was kind? Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and the dead. Is it the Lord who hath not left off his kindness? Or is it Boaz who hath not left off his kindness? So throughout Christian history, no one, the syntax doesn't prove one way or the other. Now, I think it's purposefully a little vague because it's both, like God through Boaz. How is God going to show your neighbor kindness? Through the lost guy across the street? No, God doesn't work. Like, it's going to be through you. So who's being kind, God or you? It's both of us. But, so anyway, 
Here's how we can leave off kindness, and, and this isn't the only place we find this in Scripture. So Proverbs 3, 1 through 5, this familiar passage. My son, forget not my law, but let my heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Okay, hang on. Mercy is the same word as kindness. This word mercy in Proverbs chapter 3 is the same verse as kindness in, in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. The word forsake, okay, if we looked at the Hebrew, the word forsake is the same word as left off. You forsook it. You left it there. You didn't take it with you. Okay, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so that they shall find thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and men. Did Bo how did Boaz find favor with Naomi and Ruth? It was through not letting off, not forsaking his kindness, his mercy. Okay, now this verse is, is a little different. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Okay, so. Boaz didn't forsake mercy. It says here, don't let mercy forsake you. So, so how does this work? Here's how it works. Turn to Matthew chapter 18 in your Bible. You know, Matthew 18 is like the go-to passage for dealing with conflict in the church, right? Like we turn it into a verb. Like I got a big problem with, you know, accurate. <laughs> He's, he offended me. I, I, I would come to Tim and I'd be like, look, Patrick offended me. What would you tell him, Tim? Show him grace. Talk to him. You'd say, haven't done Matthew 18. You need to do Matthew 18. You need to go and talk to him. That's what's going to be said. Go talk to him. And then we got this process of how to deal conflict in the church. That's that's the first or the middle part of Matthew 18. But the end of Matthew 18, okay, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus. He said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Do I have to forgive Patrick seven times? He is so offensive. Patrick, you're so mean. Like, Okay, what did Jesus say? I say not to be until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And, and you know, Peter's a fisherman. He can't do that kind of math. <laughs> Peter's like, that's like seven. That's, that's a lot. Like, that's more than I can. I'm just kidding, Peter. Okay. The point is, you're not going to count that high. You're not going to keep track. You're just going to forgive him every time. And then we get this parable. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. You're never paying that off. That's like your, your doctor bill after coming to the ER. That's like, you're never going to pay it. No, it's like, like you're never going to pay that off. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife, and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Okay, he's not going to pay. But his heart was 
to ask the Lord for mercy. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. There's that same word, mercy, kindness, compassion. And loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. So, you know, the servant owed a life, your, your whole life's worth of salary. Like, this servant owed like one month's worth of salary. And they laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me all that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay all. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and he would not, but went and cast them into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, this is the part of this of this parable that haunts me a little bit. Okay, look at this next verse. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. So this guy's poor behavior was noticed by everybody, and his public testimony was ruined. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thou debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have compassion on my fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's the big question. You have received great mercy, great compassion, and great kindness. But you didn't take that which you've received and then give it to others. You didn't demonstrate that. The mercy and compassion that you received, okay, didn't change you. You're still a piece of work, to quote Mark Charter. Because as pastors, we just can't say what we're thinking. Sorry, Chris B. You know, I'd like you can't do that. Okay. You guys know what I'm talking about. The mercy and compassion that he received did not change him to be the kind of person who now is going to show mercy and compassion and kindness. If you receive kindness, you can have it. If you receive forgiveness, you should have it. If you receive love, you should have it. And then guess what you should give away? All those things that you receive. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, so he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Peter is probably like, okay, seven times seven, I'll forgive, like, right? The problem is that sometimes people receive great grace, great compassion. And yet they don't share it with others. Ephesians 4 29 32. Super familiar passage. If your kids are in kid town, they're memorizing this verse. Deanna's put it's a song. Like, like this is a, a well-known verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed with the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you without malice. That's the guy that passed me the other day on my bike ride. So the, my favorite part of my ride is, is Little Blue Road. Okay, it's kind of downhill a little bit on the way home. It's through the trees. You feel like you're out in the country. 
there's no sidewalks or or bike lane. It's just a it's just the the road. It's it's wide. It's not like it's real dangerous. But I'm riding down. I'm finishing my ride. I'm just like in my happy place, and here comes this guy driving by me, and he is so mad at me for riding my bike. Mm -hmm. He's he's this is the word uh, wrath. You know what that wrath is? It's like indignant. Like how dare that guy ride his bike on the road on which I'm driving my car? Like <laughs> is, I've never been as mad as this guy was mad at me for riding my bike. Maybe and he's yelling. He's like, "Get!" Yeah. <laughs> he's just like his arm. Like you can see him. He's driving. And he's like, "But there's like no one else. It's just me and him on the road." And you can't find his face. I don't think it's flat right as possible. That's the rule. It's not like I'm riding in the middle of the road, like <laughs> stopping trap. No, this guy was so mad. <laughs> Glamour. That's the outlook. Just yelling at me. I thought, man, I must have been a really bad person in my previous life to be yelling at by by this angry car guy. I don't. Know. And then I thought, I've done a lot worse stuff than riding my bike. <laughs> like, if this guy knew, like, some of the bad stuff I've done in my life, he'd probably be even, like, really, like, he might just murder me or something. Okay, don't be like that. But be ye kind one to another, Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So, like, so like, I don't think that guy was actually just mad at me for riding my bike. Yeah. You know what I think? This guy was probably a person who never put off. The old man, he never put away malice and bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking because that's just who he is in the flesh. So that's he just reacted because it's not really just like this thing that you do, it's kind of who you are. And he's never put away from him, he's never put off the old man, he's never put on the new man. Who's the new man? It's Christ. Who's the old man? That's you. You're the old man. Christ is the new man. We're supposed to put off the old man and put on the new man. So, you know, this guy, the verse 31 in the flesh, guess what he is not? He's not kind. He's not tenderhearted. He's forgiven. He can't forgive me because he's bitter. Poor wife. Poor kids. Been raised by someone who's just trapped in the bondage of bitterness. He doesn't even know. Oh my goodness. Don't be that guy. So so Boaz was kind. He didn't leave off kindness. Okay, so for the believer, what's it mean to leave off kindness? This is what it means. It means you received it. God for Christ's sake forgave you. You received kindness, did you not? If you are saved, you receive kindness. Here's what Ephesians 4.32 says. You need to be kind now. When you leave off kindness, it's because God's kindness toward you, his compassion toward you, did not change you. 
and you forsook it. God's like, I don't have to gave you everything. And you had to forgive your, your wife, your husband. I forgave you everything. You won't forgive your co-workers. You're going to harbor bitterness. I didn't harbor bitterness for you. Then just take that mercy, that compassion that I gave you, and then trust me. Let all that other stuff go and just be kind to her. Okay, so Christ, of course, was kind. We've been talking about it through this whole thing. But here's number three, kindness, you know, of the New Testament believer. There's a thing in medicine called compassion fatigue. Paulette, you probably know about this. If you're in the medical field at all, you, you might hear about compassion fatigue, which is part of burnout. So I was in the ER on Thursday night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're still working. <clears throat> the buzzer goes off because someone else is coming into the ER. The nurse's response is not good. Another human being in need that perhaps I have the opportunity to be kind toward. Perhaps there's some kind of a problem that I get to be a part of the solution and help them and show them that that is not the. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> there, some, I won't say some of the stuff that, that gets said, but but. There's a thing called compassion fatigue, and it's like I, I've been working for 20 hours straight, and I just don't have it left. I've been traumatized. You, you get exposed to trauma. Paul, I worked in the NICU for a long time, and you get exposed to, to really sad things over and over and over and over again. You get a little bit numb, and you, you can lose the ability to show compassion to other people. Okay, that's one example of someone who is receiving compassion, and now I just, I don't really know if I have capacity to show it to others. I've, I've been in that place. COVID, but the entire medical industry in compassion fatigue. I hope you didn't get, you know, heart attack and COVID because you're just sitting in the hallway with everyone else for 10 hours. But anyway, okay, so here's the deal. We know we've received great mercy from God, amen? We know we should be merciful toward others, amen, like most of us have Ephesians 4.32 memorized from discipleship lesson. Okay, however, if we're honest with ourselves, we have an amazing, to an amazing degree, we have the ability at the same time to receive grace and mercy from God and fail to show it to others. I am just it is surprised. It is surprising to me the degree to which we have the ability to do that. And that's what I want to talk about in our small groups real quick. So here's the deal. Consider your kindness. I guess it's on your hand, there. Consider your kindness. Where where are you at? Are, are you a person? Now, I know occasionally you're kind, but I just mean as have you put off the bitterness and the grudges? And, and and are you in general a person who's looking for opportunities to be kind? What hinders kindness in your life? I, I, I talked about mine, compassion fatigue is just one thing. I get I, I, you know, I, I probably get indignant about things I shouldn't. <laughs> That causes me to lack kindness at some point. 
Have you forsaken kindness to some degree? What's at stake if we forsake kindness? Do our fellow servants see it? I don't know. And then what's the fix? So so let's do this. Let's just take 10 minutes here and and, and break up in a small group and go over those questions. And then I'll come up and, and close us at, at 10 after. Here.